Hey, this is Kat Kahn from Knoxville, Tennessee. And Tanya Rice from Minneapolis, Minnesota. We are grateful you've joined us. And we cannot wait to share with you the musings of a couple of yogis. We hope you learn, laugh, and enjoy. And we hope you will share with us any of your comments or questions. Without further ado, this is Two Pittas on a Pod. Technology, man. We're rocking. <laughs> and you know, this isn't anywhere near as fun as when we're in the same room. Oh my gosh, it's not. It's not. No. Nobody quite will ever understand that even though we're miles apart and besties, that the fact that after five years, we actually spent a solid five days together and did nothing but laugh, eat great food, and have like the best time together that we'll never be able to get that back until we travel to see each other again. <laughs> I told Edward, I said, you know, I'm going to see about teaching a workshop on your studio. And he said, oh, that'd be cool. So I was like, oh, heck yeah. Now I have a way to get up there. Oh, <laughs> heck yeah. Now you're coming. So we're just going to have to do this like every quarter. We just flip flop. So like you come here and then I'm going to go there and then we're just going to keep doing this because, yeah, there's no chance that after me having spent five days with you that I could ever not do it again. <laughs> I know. I have to say that doing Reiki with you was just incredible. And all of the people from the studio that did it with me, we're now meeting on Mondays at four before I teach the class and we're just talking Reiki and it's all kind of cool. I love it. Yeah. Can I tell you what I did the other day? Well, you can cut this part out if you don't like it. Uh, <laughs> I doubt it. But so Edward and I were out playing golf and I was hitting Okay. I mean, I'm not a great golfer, but I at least like to hit the ball and have it go forward somewhere where I can find the ball. That makes me happy. It's all good. So I was whacking away at the ball. Well, then Edward, because I was hitting it very well, Edward started fixing me. He's like, no, you know, your arm should be a little bit straighter on this side and you know, this and that and that. And that. so, and I appreciate the input because, you know, I know I need to work on it a little bit. Well, then I started trying to fix everything. Then I got pissed because I couldn't hit it at all so I was sitting there in my anxiety I could feel my anxiety going up and I was getting pissed and Edward's like I'm really sorry I was trying to fix you you were doing so good I'm so proud of you and I'm like I'm like no I'm fine I'm fine and my anxiety just kept going up so I sat there turned on my Reiki and I calmed myself down and I don't know how I did it but the intention was there I calmed myself completely down and I played like a badass I was so excited <laughs> so I'm not to play better but you freaking helped me to play better. <laughs> Reiki rocked. <laughs> I love it. Well, you know, there are times where you're going to ask for some good intention. Yeah. Um, I love um, it. A couple of students in my last night that said, you know, your friend, the Reiki girl. So that's your new name now. My the friend, Reiki the, I said, yeah. And, they, and this one lady, Berta, she goes, she's awesome. I really loved her class. And everyone that was like, yeah, we loved her too. And I was like, I know, right? So, that's so that's fun. Awesome. It was good. Yeah, you have a great bunch of people at your studio. So it was really fun to be part of that mix and to feel so welcome. I was telling a friend of mine that feeling that I had after I had you guys all in Shavasana and then I rolled you onto your side and had you all sit up and how it was just a stitch to me that everybody sat up and it was completely silent. <laughs> and I was like, is everybody okay? And then it was like this big collective sigh and everybody was like, that was amazing. I was like, yay. <laughs> 
Well, I wish I had videotaped you doing your dance in the background for everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I am super excited about talking about being an empath today. And not because I love the word empath. And I know you're going to be sprinkling your thoughts on that throughout the entire talk today, right? Uh Uh-huh. I am. (laughs) I will uh, play a little devil's advocate today. (laughs) Um, Well, there is a difference in the word empath and the words compassionate, feeling, sensitive, empathetic, but I have so many people that tell me weekly that they're an empath. They come to yoga and they sit there and we start talking about stress and anxiety and they will inevitably tell me, well, you know, I feel so much stress and anxiety because I'm an empath. And, and I, that's always kind of bothered me a little bit because I'm like, you know, there are not that many empaths in the world or we'd all be running around pulling our hair out. I was told that I was an empath by a psychologist friend and she was a friend after I went to her. I had gone to her as a client when I was going through my divorce. And when I was talking about all the issues that I had going on, you know, during the divorce, she called me a highly sensitive person. And it kind of pissed me off because I thought, you know, I'm not a highly sensitive person. I'm a strong person. I can handle my emotions. I don't run around crying at the drop of a hat. And that's what, and she, I I was, I mean, and she could tell I was visibly offended. He goes, no, 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 you don't understand. You feel other people's feelings and emotions and you take them on and it can really be a burden for you. And so she started going through a lot of the psychology mumbo jumbo about it. And so then, of course, I had to go out and buy the highly sensitive person book so, <laughs> to see what the heck I'm talking about and if I, if I should be offended or not. Right. Right. Well, and that's, you know, that's a, that's a very important point that I feel like we need to bring up. This is that the term empath is kind of a Western colloquialism. The term in psychology is what your psychologist used as a highly sensitive person, or it is an intuitive person. The term isn't used as an empath. You're an empath. We hear that on the street all the time. You're an empath or, you know, what you're going through is, you know, qualities of an empath. That's kind of a term that's been, you know, sort of westernized, right? But if we actually were going to talk about the clinical, the Mm -hmm. true clinical label, it would be a highly sensitive person, or it would be an intuitive person. And when we say that, we really need to define also like what that means and what the actual true percentage of the existence of people that have that clinical level. The reason why I say it's important to bring that up is because all of us have the capacity to show empathy. Everybody does, just like compassion, and it is a choice. So the the thing is, is really sort of differentiating that clinical form of highly sensitive where you are unable to differentiate your feelings from someone else's because as as we're talking about everybody having the capacity to show empathy that is you know it's almost like it's your obligation as a human as a good yogi as a good reiki provider to have a level of empathy but to be able to know how to differentiate these are your emotions these this is your energy 
that's not mine to take on. And if we're taking it on, if we're actually allowing those feelings to affect us and our feelings, we've allowed that. We chose that. And it's hard. I'm not saying that it's easy. It's hard. We're parents, we're moms, we're caretakers. You know, it's sometimes it's difficult to say, oh, but I'm going to take care of you. And then there's other times where we're like, "Mm -mm, you need to carry this one on your own. But it's tricky. So walking into a room and suddenly feeling anxious doesn't make you an empath. It just makes you human. It makes you maybe clinically anxious. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying, maybe you need to address the anxiety, but not label it that you're an empath. Well, and true empaths not only pick up emotional and mental health of others, but they can do it from a distance. And a lot of times without even speaking to the other person, the other part of being an empath means clearly and easily reading signals coming off of another person in their presence. And we proved this even just this last weekend doing Reiki training, the power of that sort of distant connection energetically and emotionally. Yeah, I was looking at an article in U.S. News and World Report, and the article was called, Could You Be an Empath? And it was a really great article, and they talked to the author of one of the other books I have for today, Judith Orloff, and she said, many people are empathetic, but very few are empaths. Empathy exists on a spectrum, and midway is for beautiful people who show empathy. Midway on the spectrum is for beautiful people who show empathy and feel for someone if they have joy or have pain. But if you go up higher on the spectrum, you have empaths who are highly empathetic. They not only feel what's going on, they're kind of like an emotional sponge, and they're able to absorb what's going on in others around them and in the world, even absorb things into their own body. And so they often suffer from anxiety and depression and overload and exhaustion. So true empaths will generally see signs of anxiety, depression, overload, exhaustion. Other, yeah, other clinical mental, we'll say illness for lack of a better term in this case. But yeah, and it's because they perhaps don't have the tools that are necessary to protect themselves or to be able to differentiate between what is theirs to carry and what isn't theirs to carry and being very careful to know the difference between what another person's feeling versus what you're feeling. Right. In uh, Judith Orloff's book, she had a little quiz that can that can indicate, and it's not always 100% accurate, but it can indicate if you're an empath. And this is just a few of the sample questions in there that I have for you. Have I ever been labeled as overly sensitive, shy, or introvert, introverted? And I would say almost every person I know would say yes to that, wouldn't you say? At some point in time in their life or not. Yeah, I mean, certainly. And like we've said, you know, stressors like a big divorce, things that are going on that already make you feel emotionally unstable. And then you're like, oh my gosh, like I can't stop. I can't protect myself because you're already feeling volatile. Yeah, exactly. And another one, do arguments and yelling make me ill? Now, I don't know that that's true for everyone. I mean, I, I avoid arguments and yelling at all costs because they literally make me sick. Um, I can't do it. But, and I think there's probably quite a few people though in the general public that also 
feel the same way about that. Do crowds drain me and do I need alone time to revive myself? I see so many people that are only happy if they're in a crowd of people. And I love being in crowds of people. But then I do have to go back and Calgon take me away with a big glass of wine, you know? <laughs> Which we might have a different label for that. <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> I mean, who's, who's counting? <laughs> Another question, do I absorb other people's stress, emotions, and symptoms? Another one, do I replenish myself in nature? Do I need a long time to recuperate after being with difficult people or emotional vampires? And people that are true empaths really get sucked dry from emotional people. They really have to have time to recharge. And in this article, let's see, actually this was in the same article, yeah. How rare are true empaths? Perhaps you've always had the ability to feel the emotions and physical symptoms of others as if they were your own. If this rings true in your life, you may be an empath. Only one to 2% of the population experience this type of sensitivity, having the, the ability to feel and absorb the emotions surrounding them. So for me, I was thinking about that a lot. One to 2% of the entire population of the globe. It amazes me that we hear it so often. Yeah, you can walk into a room of 20 people and I bet you two to four people would say, oh yeah, I definitely have had times where I've been an empath or I'm an empath, yeah. Like, it's like, mm, okay. <laughs> um, and, and this is, you know, I go back to that place of, is it really a clinical situation that you are an empath or are you maybe not doing a great job of setting boundaries for yourself? And that's a tricky line. It's like, you know, nobody wants to be called highly sensitive because we're like, no, we're not. I'm tough. I'm strong. I'm, you know, I'm capable. And we have this like negative connotation with the term sensitive because we're like, well, sensitive is a crybaby or whatever. Like, you know, we have this, you know, negative words that pop up when we use the term sensitive. But on the flip, if we tell somebody maybe you're not setting appropriate boundaries and they're like, oh yes, I take really good care of myself. And then they take on the defense on the other side and you're like, but really are you? It's like everything we talk about in our yoga world and our dis-ease and we all know that we're the cause of our own disease and therefore it would imply that if we quote unquote are an empath, it's because we are allowing that to be the case. Well, and it kind of depends, too, on what you've been exposed to. Some people, especially younger people, truly don't understand why they feel the way they do. They just haven't had someone that can teach them how right, to give them the tools. Yeah. yeah. And so hopefully by the end of this, we will give people some tools. So I just wanted to pull a little piece from the article I read from Psychology Today in regards to empaths and, you know, uh, not like the quiz of, of it, but if you feel like you are an empath or borderline empath, some of the things that you could think about, like one is, are you clearly distinguishing this is their emotion, this is my emotion and able to differentiate that? If you are not able to differentiate that, that's maybe where your work needs to begin, right? Being able to detect, 
you know, when I came home, I was very content with my day. But when I walked in the room and I felt everybody's just anger and crabbiness, I took all that on. Did you or did you allow it to come on? Because you can walk in the room and say, I understand that you're feeling angry, you're upset and that, but I had a great day. I would like to share with you why it was great. And I really am not looking to share in the pity party that you all have going on in this room right now, right? But right. It, it's it's that ability to be able to distinguish. And again, I'm not saying it's easy. I promise you it's not easy. There are times where we will all fall down at this, but at least we've got some tools. The other one is make being an empath something positive. Figure out how to gather the tools and use it like Reiki to channel energy in a positive way to use it for good. So when you walk in the room and everyone's crabby, that you say, hey, can we take a couple minutes? Let's sit down. Let's have a circle. Let, let's talk about what went wrong and let's see if we can turn the emotions and use it for good. So turn that negative, oversensitive term into a powerful energy healing term and use it for good. The other is to be aware and watch for those willing to let you take on their emotions, those energy vampires who are kind of intentionally setting you up for failure. They don't maybe even realize it, but they're doing it to you continually because they know you will take it. Mm -hmm. So it becomes this case of abuse, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's mental or verbal, but again, it's are you allowing that? And then the most next clear answer to that is set proper boundaries. You know, oh. the next time it happens, just say, you know what, this we met last week and the same thing happened. And I, I'm, I'm not able to do this for you anymore. Like, I'm not willing to do this for you anymore. I will love to be your friend. I would love to be able to have these conversations. But I need for you to understand that this is your baggage. And I'll help you talk through your baggage, but I'm not going to drag your luggage for you. Well, and the thing with those kind of people that are energy vampires, once they give you all of their shit and you are just bombarded with all their emotions, they feel great. They feel great. They feel and they're letting you continually carry the load for them. Yeah. So you yeah. have to for that. Yeah, um, you have to be able to set up a boundary. And then, you know, like some of the things you mentioned before, but really, really practicing self care, you know, being mindful, like, you know, some of the tools, you know, that we teach you in Reiki or some of the tools that, you know, we teach people in Kundalini, like how to charge your aura or how to eradicate your ego or, you know, how to ground yourself in yoga and meditation or to do pranayama, but really to be practicing that self-care so that you are, you know, for lack of a better term, putting up this invisible shield that says, yeah, nope, your crap can just all bounce right off of me. I'm not taking it. <laughs> I love you and I will listen to you all day long, but mm, your bag, not Exactly. I did find some some literal tools also, like putting salt in your bath and putting little balls of salt around the room in your office because the low vibration energy is pulled into the salt 
Um, the beauty of salt lamps. I know. The beauty so. of salt lamps. The yeah, beauty yeah. of crystals and obsidian. This is why my room is covered with rocks. <laughs> well, and one thing that we did at the Reiki weekend is smudging. And it helps you to mentally feel that safe zone also. Tuning forks. I have Tuning little, forks. But I know you might, I thought I mentioned, we just throw that out there. And you might. I love my tuning forks and I don't know where I put them right this minute, but I love my tuning forks. And now I have my tuning forks in like multiple vibrations. When I first started playing with tuning forks, I only had that, you know, the megahertz that was appropriate to the heart chakra, but now I have them all so I can use them all. And I love my tuning forks. Vibration of any kind is going to help, whether like you talk about salt or using tuning forks, but even chanting is going to change vibration going to a sound bath yeah absolutely using singing bowls anything that's going to create vibration is going to help shift energy and some essential oils because those can also be very helpful and some that can reduce anxiety are uh, lavender basil chamomile bergamot uh, cedar wood. If you want to increase the energy around you, you can try eucalyptus and cinnamon, ginger, lemon, orange, peppermint. And to kind of repel negativity, you might try rosemary, frankincense, eucalyptus. Also, again, lavender. So you might just kind of coach yourself in lavender. And of course, tea tree. That's a nice little repellent. Some people hate the smell of tea tree, though. Do you? I like it. I'm okay with tea tree. Although <laughs> we have to tell our listeners that this weekend we discovered there is a difference between Kat and Tanya, who maybe were twins separated at birth. And that <laughs> difference is, is that Kat likes cilantro and Tanya does not. I know. And Kat put cilantro on just about every friggin' thing. <laughs> okay. like, you know. So talk about the empathetic connection that you and I have over the miles. I mean, come on. So we I, may be talking about empathy, but you and I have felt it. We know it. I know. Um, I did want to give people a couple of stones, though, that they might use. Any kind of crystal, quartz crystals, used for power, clarity, healing, protection, balancing, energizing. Um, citrine is a great one for success, for healing, for abundance and happiness. Amethyst, um, tranquility, that's a great for empaths. Rose quartz is the crystal of love. And speaking of crystals and stones, Tanya gave me so many really cool stones when she came excited. And you were supposed to sit down and make a little chart for me with all what they all are. I mean, I carry the Amazonite around in my purse all the time now because I love that stone. But I've got so many other pretty ones and I don't know what they are. So, <laughs> we'll um, have to talk about that. But another, as long as we're talking rocks, another really, really good one for, you know, clearing energy and or protection would be obsidian. Obsidian, you can put it in all four corners of your room. You can put it anywhere as well as shungite. Shungite is another black stone. And then also selenite. Selenite is a great stone to have anywhere. And this is the whole conversation of the selenite wands, which mm -hmm. I got a new wand. I took it to the studio yesterday, but you would just dig this wand. But anyway, everybody's like, wands? Let's uh, talk about wands. Some other things you might try are just affirmations and prayers and prayers of intention and just kind of leading a healthy, uncluttered life. That yeah, get rid of other things that are going to cause you emotional distress, emotional anxiety, anything that's going to already make you 
oversensitive because then you will become more sensitive to the energy around you. And yes, I use the term oversensitive. (laughs) Well, and another thing that Judith Orloff talks about is the empath experience. Empaths sometimes need a space to retreat. You can create your own retreat space in your house. You know, you can have your own little space. It doesn't even matter how small it is. If you designate a corner as your space, then you've mentally set that intention for when you're there. And that's going to be a very powerful tool for you if you are an empath. Um, I used to joke with my kids, although it's not, it wasn't really a joke at the time, but in our old house, we had this very large walk-in closet like that I know that we've referenced when we talked about minimalism and stuff, but I had this very large walk-in closet for whatever reason, one day, just in general tiredness, I think maybe it was post one of my knee surgeries, I sat down on the floor in my closet to, I don't know, tie my shoes or do something. And I kind of just noticed as I looked from the vantage point of the floor in my closet, that I had this beautiful window with the door closed, it was really quiet, like there was no, no walls that connected to the house. And I was like, Oh, this is really a lovely room. And it became my space. Like literally I had a little thing on the doorknob and I was like, if mom's in the closet, leave her alone. <laughs> I love that. Miracle. <laughs> so did it you go came- into that a lot as meditation place? I did. It became my meditation room. It really did. And it was funny because there would just be times where I was like, I don't even need to close the door on my closet, but I'm going to just so that my kids think that I'm in here for a reason. You know what we haven't talked about is, of course, journaling. Anytime that you need to get rid of excess emotions, journaling is a fabulous way. But meditation is like taking an etch-a-sketch and shaking it for your mind. When, you have, when you're overloaded with all those emotions and all that stress, if you just freaking set your ass down and meditate, shake all that crap up, get it out. I love that. I love that visual that you give us, shaking the etch-a-sketch. But it's also really the big reminder. Like, remember, it's your favorite quote, right? And I'm never going to get it right. But no one can make you feel any way. No okay. one. Yeah, you make me feel this way or that way is a self-imposed delusion. I alone make me feel anyway. Exactly. And that implies, I'm sorry, but if you walk in a room and you're like, oh my gosh, they were in such a bad mood. They put me in a bad mood. Mm, you allowed that. Well, and my other favorite quote this is probably my life quote is, experience is not what happens to you. It's what you do with what happens to you. So if you consider yourself a highly sensitive person, then instead of letting that become the identifier for your life and feeling more like a victim, taking that power back and deciding how can I use this? I feel like a Miss Miss America contestant. How can I use this for good? (laughs) How can I use this for good? But be mindful that it can't then also become an ego trip. Like, right, that now it can't become a tool that, you know, well, I used to be this empath, but now I'm this amazing, you know, this, that, or the other thing. Like using it for good, but being mindful not to let it turn into something that becomes an ego trip. There's a lot of articles out there. There were a couple I did not read on how empaths are drawn to narcissists. Yeah, we really don't want to walk that road because now you're talking about two labels Tanya really doesn't like. (laughs) I mean, there were so many that popped up and I was like, oh yeah, we're not even going down that little path road. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, because now you're like, okay, Tanya would say the percentage of true clinical empaths and the percentage of true clinical narcissists, the chances of you actually running into a true narcissist as a true empath is pretty, pretty small. Exactly. <laughs> but remember that as energy balls, we as humans are energy balls, that what we put out for energy is what we will attract for energy. That is science. That is purely science. So if you are continually putting out there, I'm an empath and I'm oversensitive and I'm going to take on your stuff, then people are going to willingly give it to you. Yeah, Here you go. Willingly. Well, and this is one last thing I have from Judith Orloff. If you're an empath, Orloff says, you tend to be spiritual and long for a greater connection than the connection to oneself. Empaths have a desire to unite humanity rather than divide. So that right there, I think, would make a lot of people sit back and go, oh. oh, this is a good thing. We can use this for good. And I love that you draw on that because the next thing I wanted to talk about is remembering that our true happiness resides inside. Exactly. We don't get our true happiness from so-and-so in the room. So even if they are crabby, it doesn't matter because we draw our true happiness, our true contentedness from inside. Mm -hmm. You know, as we are willing to allow people to change our emotion, we're actually willingly handing them over control. And in a case of, you know, good self-care, why would we allow that? We wouldn't allow somebody to control us physically. Why would we allow them to control us mentally? Mm -hmm. Now I'm saying, I understand that's a broad statement and I, I don't want to offend anybody. I understand that there are times where you cannot change the situation to which you live in, or you cannot erase what has happened to you in your life. And I'm not saying that trauma doesn't happen and that victims you know, of crime don't exist. But I am saying that you have choices. Get help. Find mm -hmm. someone to talk to. Find a safe haven. Remove yourself from the situation. Create safe boundaries if you need to. Call Kat or Tanya. We'll help you find somebody to talk to. We'll help you find a way out. But be super mindful that you have the choice. Exactly. And, you know, when we're talking about empathy, we're really talking about energy because everything is energy. People are energy, colors, things, music, places. And if you are a highly sensitive person, you're kind of open to all of that. So you really do need to have tools in your arsenal to help. And you need groups. This Judith Orloff that I've mentioned on and off through the whole episode mentions that she has um, some groups for people that you can absolutely. Um, I meant to look before we started chatting today, and it just slipped my mind. But I would imagine there is probably a group on Facebook. But if not, you can always just look up Judith Orloff. MD, and that's O-R-L-O-M. And I would also say to be careful when you're looking for those groups to make sure that it's really, truly aligning with what you're looking for, because there can also be groups that become, you know, sort of these like little pity parties or, you know, that aren't actually helping you, giving you tools for how to work through it, but instead just kind of become these social hours. And it's not that, you know, having like-minded people
people around you is a bad thing, but be careful the direction that it's taking you in if you're really, really, truly trying to look for tools, right? Great, great point. Because if you're talking to people that really are not experts and, you know, you and I are not experts in this. We've worked around a lot of people like this, but we're not psychologists. We're not MDs. But you want to find, you really feel like you need help. You need to find someone that's qualified to give you that help. Someone that's qualified to give you that help. It's a little bit like the conversation that you and I had the other day offline, but that, you know, it's like, and I I hate to use and bring up politics, but if you're in, you know, this world of being very delineated in your politics right now, it's very dangerous if all you're going to do is listen to the people who are feeding your side of the story instead of willingly listening to both sides of the story and then making an educated decision. The same would hold true in this. If all you're going to do is surround yourself with other people who are also going through this and saying, oh, yeah, you know, but you're not actually giving each other tools, it may not be a helpful situation. It might just actually worsen the situation. Yeah. I think you have a couple books to share with us. I do. The first one is called The Highly Sensitive Person by Elaine Aaron, A-R-O-N, and she's a Ph.D., book that mycologist recommended me to get when when she offended me by, by telling me I was a highly sensitive person. The other one is one that I bought myself and I've blabbed about higher day today, The Empath Survival Guide by Judith Orloff. And that's Orloff, O-R-L-O-F-F. And she is an MD. I love that. If someone calls you highly sensitive, just be proud. Just own it. Don't go out there and be offended. Just say, hell yeah, I am. Uh-huh. And then go meditate on it. And then go meditate on it because there are tools out there. Yeah. Yeah, there are. And we're not saying that if you come in to see us in the next couple of days and tell us that you're an empath, that we're going to shoo you away because we're not because Kat and I have both been down the road. We've both been told that we are empaths or somewhere along the way that we are highly sensitive. And although it maybe took us a minute to digest it, we get it now and we are actively for years now trying to find tools that will help us in our journey, whether it's been yoga, whether it's been pranayama, whether it's been teaching students, which is a great way to relieve yourself of that empathy is to share knowledge, give knowledge. So yeah, turn it for better, turn it for good. Perfect. I'm Kat Kahn. And I'm Tanya Rice. And this is Two Pittas. On a pod, signing off. Thank you for listening to Two Pittas on a Pod. We're grateful you joined us. Join us again for more musings of a couple of yogis. We hope you learned, laughed, and enjoyed this podcast. And we hope you will share your comments or questions. Email us at twopittasonapod at gmail.com. And like us on Facebook and Instagram at Two Pittas on a Pod.